play Nekoatsune? Do I play what? Nekoatsune. Is it that cat game? Yeah, yeah that's the crazy no, cat game. No, I have game. not played the cat game. All right, game. then we won't talk about then we won't talk about the cat game. <laughs> okay. Um, I've had lots bro- of people show me how to play the cat game. Mm. I've had lots of people talk to me about how I should play the cat game. It, it, it's the must-have app of Railscom. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. Hi, Aline. Hi, Sean. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. We're, well, we're joined by Eileen Yucatel? Uh, you should tell. You should tell. Sorry. That's okay. So you uh, work at Basecamp? Yes. And on Active Record? Sometimes. And you're a Mostly Ruby on hero. Active Record. And yes. you're a Ruby hero. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. That's Very awesome. Much. Well deserved. <laughs> we're like, I mean, we also had Sarah on yesterday, Ruby hero. Yep. Good things happen to people who come on this podcast. Yeah. Is, uh, Sam Saffron. Sam Saffron. Yeah. Yeah, Ruby yep. Hero. We're doing well. How's it feel? Uh, it's a little weird. Does it feel heroic? <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I should have a, a cape. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Oh. But then uh, Olivier said something about how they were dangerous to Cape? have capes. And you oh. might get stuck in the escalator or something. And yeah, or in a plane's uh, engine. Yeah, yeah. We can't have that happening to the Ruby Heroes. No. <laughs> so uh, how did you get into working on rails? <laughs> So uh, last year I gave a talk at Mountain West and um, I talked about Active Record and mostly how a lot of people blame Active Record for their problems, but they really aren't actually looking at their sequel. Mm-hmm. They're assuming that Active Record knows better than them and that it should just be optimizing and that doesn't always happen, especially when you're destroying objects through other objects. Right. And uh, I had actually found a bug in Delete All that it was creating this giant in statement rather than just going straight for the foreign key and it would take 130 seconds to delete 10,000 records through an association. Wow. And this was just because it was building the giant string with, the, yep. well, and presumably the in statement's also slower to execute on the... Yeah. Right. And um, I was like, well, this is just how it is, because I had assumed, I just assumed everyone uses this every day, so someone else would have found this bug. If this was a real <laughs> bug, this must be intentional. So I just talked about how to get around that using finding the records first and then just doing a straight delete them on the main record rather on the main record the associated record rather than going through an association okay to delete them and then uh aaron patterson was there and he was like that's a bug <laughs> why don't they fix that <laughs> and so i i asked him why don't they fix that yeah and so they is you is yes the they is that's you. the dirty they secret is me <laughs> um so then we started pairing on on that bug and other stuff and that was my introduction to contributing to Rails. That's the annoying thing about getting into it, right? And that now you can't talk about, like, bugs anymore because it's just like, well, go fix it. Grr. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you I, can. I mean, Aaron talks about bugs all the time. He's, right, I he doesn't no, have time to fix them all. That's so, because like, he created them. <laughs> <laughs> he creates all of them and he can't fix all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to leave some work for everybody. Yeah. But I think that, look, there's a recurring theme in all these interviews we're doing and some of the talks as well. Like, your talk was on getting involved with, you did a lab on getting involved with Rails, right? Yes. Um, I heard it went well, and we'll come back to that. But the recurring theme we have is, like, people, I think, have a hard time realizing that this is all just made by people just like them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, like, <laughs> like Aaron certainly talks at a level that several of us are not comfortable operating at. Like, when he's talking about, like, performance stuff, it's, like, over my head for the most part. But, like... 
there's all kinds of contributions everybody can make and it takes like we had godfrey on and he's like he agreed that like that stuff is he's not really comfortable doing that stuff but there's plenty of other stuff to do as well so like everything's just made by people just like you yeah Yeah, and it's not as much of a magical door with like you need to know the secret word to enter as i think it seems like and i get that because there was a while where i was like rails what contribute to rails no that's terrifying (laughs) I, i don't have anything to like contribute but everybody has something to contribute and it's just getting past that idea that you don't have something well, i think it's like you, you look you look you get into rails because of a bug presumably i would guess that bug's probably in the association code somewhere which of course is then why they <laughs> yes. get really scared away but it's like you look at this thing and it's like oh this looks like really broken and wrong but so i guess the, like rails is just way smarter than i am and i'm just not clever enough to see how it's actually right but no it's actually just broken and wrong and really bad legacy code in a lot of places yeah i don't i don't like to use the word bad it's when legacy it comes code. to legacy code because it existed for a reason it lived its life and legacy code has like i don't know I have a weird love for it because it has this life that new, brand new code doesn't. Yeah. Well, then you're on the right project. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Well, well, I think a lot of it just comes from people do come in and they have a bug and they fix the bug as like a little band-aid on whatever it is. But then too, it, it's too rare for somebody to come look at a file or a module and just be like, does the structure of this still make sense? Like, does this architecture still make sense? Is there a higher level problem that is leading to all of these band-aids needing to be applied? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then it just becomes a too many cooks in the kitchen problem sometimes. Over, I mean, not, not like at once, not that people shouldn't come contribute, but I mean, over the course of 10 years. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times where I've seen people be like, this one weird edge case is broken and I fixed it, but it actually shows that there's like, a, especially with scopes, I feel like this happens with scopes all the time. They'd be like, oh, this eager loading poly blah 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 let me just add on a bunch of like other words that mean confusing scopes right and you've got like an edge case and a problem and sometimes you know we have to be like that's can't get merged in because we're going to start getting a problem where you check each already level of like that that scope and you have like a your code is anyway <laughs> yeah no well, it's... I, i'm thinking specifically of like one section that had a problem with that it was a yeah. one bug that like one person fixed and it's like well we can't fix it this way Right, right. Had to fix it this other way because right. you're, we're just making the problem worse. With and then the this. other way is way harder, presumably. Yeah. Yes. Right, yeah. Those come like I think I feel like that comes up in every project that's been around long enough, right? Somebody's like, "Here, I fixed this problem," and you're like, "Yeah, it did fix that problem, but like this is going to be a, mi- a maintenance nightmare." So like, the actual fix of this problem is this super complicated thing. Yep. that um, like I'm going to feel bad telling you that you should look into doing, <laughs> but you should look into this. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there, there's just also a lot of times we get into this unfortunate scenario where it's like, I feel like I know what could fix this in the long run, but it requ- like I have to change the interface of this thing. Like the, the current interface will always have this bug or, or will always just be ambiguous in, what, in, in X way. And it's like, and so we're going to keep having bugs. And it's almost always the, the, the pain of introducing the breaking change yeah. would be is greater than the pain of continuing to have this bug. I feel like I feel like I run into those a lot anyway. Yeah. You also get like in a weird point where when does like a bug become expected behavior and almost even a feature? So I, I, when I'm playing bug or feature, it's, it's a game show. Um, <laughs> I, for me, the line is uh, trying to find the context of where it was introduced. And yeah. does this behavior seem intentional? Right. But even if it's not, if it's been around for five 
versions. Not documented, not my problem. No, but like this is this is the IE5 6 problem, right? Like right. they yeah. couldn't change things because they were like, well, people depend on the way we did things before. Yeah. Even though it was broken. So <laughs> I mean, we'll have this weird flag you can put in your meta tags that says like, no, no, use a real HTML parser or use a real HTML layout engine or whatever. <laughs> but like <laughs> I don't know. Like you, you got to take a case by case, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the big ones that was technically a breaking change, it, it was in 4.2, we actually detect mutations. And so like if you, you, you may very well have been depending on the fact that we didn't detect mutations and mutating yeah. something and calling save and expecting it to not persist. But like, I don't know, to me that, that just... On a, like subjectively seems like a low risk change overall. Yeah, I feel like you can. I feel like you can always in, kind of get an intuition. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, people test the betas and then they can report <laughs> if our intuition was wrong. Of course, nobody tests the betas. But it's hard to. You don't. If you're the kind of company that doesn't have time to really not invest in bugs, updating your app just to test the release. Yes, you should, but that's really hard. Especially if. What if you're on three and you need to test five you got to actually upgrade before you can get to that point right and not i wish there was an easier way for people to test the releases but it does take time especially there's a lot of deprecations in from four to five a lot more than i think there were from three to four that make it harder and i'm not talking like every release is is that hard but that not everyone can run rails edge in production so they they can't justify the cost of upgrading for testing well, I'm not saying run it in production, right? And, and, and certainly it might end up being like, oh, this is going to be a really hard upgrade, so we're not going to do it. But you yeah. could at least try. You might just miss all, all the deprecations. And you right. don't have to be deprecation-free, right? That's why we have the, the deprecation yeah. cycle. But like, just running your test suite is incredibly valuable. True. Right? I also feel like if you're on Rails 3 currently, like... Yeah, you have bigger problems. You've done up... <laughs> yes. Like, there's a problem, and people don't realize it. Like, you're going to get out of date so fast. Like, it feels like Rails 4 just came out, but it's almost two years ago now. Yeah. And, like, if you're not on it yet, like, there's basically support for 3.2 ongoing for a little while now. Like, yeah. not official support, but somebody stepped up to do it, right? Um, it's, it's critical security. Okay. Yeah, so it's so, not getting... It got a backport for Ruby 2.2 just right. so that it could support that. But it's not getting any feature updates or not even real bug fixes at this point. Right. It, unless it's, like, security. <laughs> yeah, the SQL injection vulnerabilities, when those get found, those get yeah. fixed on 3.2, but nothing Right, else. so, like, but if you're still on 3.2, like, you really got to start making the case that, like, okay, we got to get to 4 because 5 is coming out, and, like, right. then as soon as we get to 4, we have to turn around and get to 4.1 and then 4.2. You, Hopefully you actually, those are pretty easy. Yeah. And then once we get to 4.2, then we're ready for 5. And so if, you're, if you keep yourself one version behind, right, if you get yourself in the right situation where you're just tracking the latest major version or maybe one point release below that if like you're hypersensitive to change yeah last major um, last minor right so if you're so if you try and stay on that train then at least running the test suite on like a on you know edge rails or whatever um, or on the betas is plausible because you can start to then you can start to plan like what am I going to need to do to my application in order to make sure I'm ready for Rails five right Is there something I can do today that's compatible both with four two and five and then yeah. I'm ready and like going to five won't be a problem so instead of being instead of being like all of this work I have to do right now to upgrade to Rails five it's just like work you do over the next six months to upgrade to Rails five and yeah. then. You wait for some gems to update, and bang, you're done. Well, and presumably everybody really, really wants to get on Rails 5 anyway, so that way they can have new turbo links and action cable. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. That's my, that's my rant. Try and get updated. As somebody who's working on a 3.2 app right now and yeah. has yeah. so much work that I like, haven't even thought about <laughs> getting to 4. So it's really like it's easier said than done. Like, 
I'm sitting on a 3-2 app and have to put, like, I know what I'm going to have to do to get it to 4, but, like, there's so much work to do that I'm not doing it yet, and right. I, I feel bad about that. I don't know. I mean, like, cause of course, Basecamp runs on, on Master, right? But Does it run on Master in production? I can't tell you <laughs> That's fine. everything. That's fine. <laughs> we have a version of the app that runs on Master. Right. That's not what customers are using right now, though. But, but I mean, like, your app. It's in not, our production. It's not in their production. Does right, that make sure. sense? So, yep. So that way we can test it. and. Right. Yeah. Perfect. I, I was more meaning like implying that you guys are running it in production, but more like your app is able to run on it. Yes. Um, yeah. Actually, we found a lot of bugs. <laughs> some that I have created in Rails yeah. from that. <laughs> I actually do find a lot, though, a lot of times, you know, because I'm pretty active on making sure that the point releases are getting out, and I have found quite a few uh, bug fixes that were fixed on master, and I need to back port, port to 4.2, but it's like... There was no, it, I couldn't find a, any specific issue for this. I mean, if there was a specific issue for that bug on Master, we would have backported the bug fix. It was just like it got fixed incidentally. And so, you yeah. know, get bisect, find it. Your name comes up more often than not uh, with the, it's one particular commit where you did a, one, one of the, ref, I don't remember which one it was. It was one of the refactorings on reflection, but like apparently fixed a lot of bugs. Yeah. <laughs> involved when scopes get evaluated. I think I, I saw that one once I, when we were doing so I do I'm doing the open academy program which gets computer science students involved in open source and there was one that there was an open issue and I was like I'm going to show you how to verify which commit fixed the issue sure. having no idea that it was going to be my commit so then I was really embarrassed when we finished the bisect and it was it had my name on it and I was like this is not <laughs> I was not trying I to pat myself on the not, back this is, yeah this is not I did not expect that sorry Sorry, this is I'm just really awesome and fix all the bugs. This is awkward right now. <laughs> so what are you, like Aaron mentioned in the keynote yesterday that you've been helping, that you did all of the work for the performance <laughs> stuff and he took all of the credit. That's uh, not totally true. I figured as much, but like, what, so you've been doing a lot of performance work. What are the areas that you're like most excited about? Or if it's not just performance stuff, like what have you been focusing on? Um, currently I've been focusing on speeding up the integration tests in Rails so that they can be so that we can remove the controller tests and not remove, as Aaron put it, kind of hide them under integration tests, kind of. Same way it has them logs made, yeah, removed. Right. It's, it's still there, but like there's less code supporting it. Yeah. Basically. A whole lot less code. And that was, I was, it's actually been kind of fun because I've been like learning different tools that I didn't really even know anything about. And so like, basically I wrote a test app that has a test for each type of test. So we have an index and a create and then for each tool, for each profiling tool, has its own test in there so that you can easily just run it depending on which profiler you want to use. So okay. uh, we have some for allocation tracer and ones for stack prof. And that way, constantly just like don't have to change the test to use the profiler. Just run each of those individual tests and they run with mini test run one method so that you can like run it 3,000 times if you need to to get the allocations. And uh, so that's the code that he was talking about that I wrote most of. Uh, but I wouldn't have known about like 50% of those tools without that because I was like, oh, I'll use RubyProf. And then I look at the output and I'm like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I mean, not because there's anything wrong with RubyProf because the output is so verbose that it's really overwhelming And if you just try to use the default settings. right? Uh, they actually have a really cool chart that's colored that you can use but you have to configure it. Oh, you mean like flame graphs? or It's kind of like a flame graph, yeah. Okay. 
So had you done any of that like profiling work before you started doing this? Like, had you, or is this like your first exposure to doing that stuff? Because uh, I like I always feel like so stupid when that stuff comes on the screen. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't do any of that stuff. I feel like I should be doing that stuff, but I don't know where to start. Yeah, no, I hadn't actually used any of that before. So how it started was that David wanted to move all of the controller tests, integration tests in Basecamp, mm-hmm. but they were too slow. And David hates it when things are slow. So <laughs> he was like, you like performance. Uh, do you want to work on this? And I was like, sure, that's I'll work on this. And then I was did. It, will, was, it, was it, do you want to work on this? Is that actually <laughs> yeah. what happened? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyone else could have worked on it, but. Um, I'm just trolling. Yeah. Well, you know. He's a troll. I am a troll. <laughs> the masses may not know. <laughs> <laughs> now they do. <laughs> um, so then I, I ran the RubyProf stuff and I got something out of it that I was confused by. So then I spent most of the time trying to get like something that I could actually read that wasn't overwhelming and that's where i got the chart and i posted that in the like base camp for rails and aaron was like oh this sounds like a really great idea for my rails conf talk (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) win-win i guess yeah no he didn't actually say that but uh (laughs) (laughs) he was like oh i'll I'll help out with this so that's how we started working on it together cool and it was uh funny because that whole thing about the stack prof where with the mini tests and see how it was like nine sixty percent or 50 percent of the time spent in mini tests we were like yes let's solve this problem mm-hmm. and then it, when it like turned out it wasn't like that's the kind of thing i would have never figured out i've been like this, this is a bug like one yeah, of the things so, that like, I've... so just for people who might not have listened to that so that was basically like they ran all these profiles and found that like oh 50 percent of the time the slowdown in integration tests is in running this mini test method right yeah and then it was like, great, we'll squash this. We'll just delete this method, <laughs> which I don't know. We didn't, we, we didn't really, in the keynote, it wasn't covered if that was actually copacetic or not, but deleted the method and it was like, this is going to be great. And then it turned out that the, that made no impact to the speed of the integration test. Right. right. I mean, he yeah. was just deleting the method because it, he was verifying the hypothesis that this right. actually was slow. And, right. then, and then the profile got faster, but then time didn't change. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean the easiest way in performance testing, and it seems like really low level. But the easiest way to like just see if this code is actually slow is to remove the slow code. Yep, and then just puts or whatever, like whatever, yep. return whatever you need, whatever it's supposed to be returning by default. Yeah, just right. delete everything else and then run it. And if right. you don't see a speed improvement, your test is lying to you. Right, and that's what happened here. Right. Yeah. So like, but it was unclear how it could possibly be lying yeah it was some obscure kernel bug that only exists on osx and it was not and as far as i know they still ha- don't know what it was was it a kernel bug or was it a bug in the profiler Something it's like not the mark. profiler oh, okay. it's it's the it's actually osx <laughs> um jeremy had found an article that seemed like it could have been that bug i actually have to go back and find it because i'm giving a talk at Groku on how to performance is the actual title of it. That oh, that's good. That's a good title. I'm looking forward to that because, like I said, this stuff makes me feel way over my yeah, head. Yeah, uh, what I like to do in my talks is, like, really, like, take out all of the confusing shit and, like, am I allowed to say shit? Yeah, yeah you cool. can say whatever you want. Okay. We'll bleep Tom you if we need to. Are you going to... This isn't live, Tom right? decides. No. no. Okay. We'll bleep you if you say <laughs> but... Okay. Um, <laughs> take out all the shit, yes. Take out all the shit <laughs> that's hard and, like, try to break it down as, like, simple as possible. Even if I have to skip over some of the like more complicated stuff, just because, well, usually I don't understand it until I start doing that. Right. I, like totally in depth, you know. Like one of the, this is kind of a tangent, but that's like one of the cool things about giving talks is it forces you to like look at the stuff that you actually take for granted and then figure out how you know it, and then how to figure out how to tell other people about it. 
Yeah. There's like so many things that with contributing to Rails that like Reflog, I took Reflog, a lot of the things in it for granted. And I was just like, I know where to go back. But then I had to actually look at it to explain, okay, where do you know to go back to? And mm. the, one of the interesting things is the, you can see what points in the code are exactly the same in Reflog because the numbers match. The mm. revision number next to right. them are exactly the same. And the oh. head numbers are the ones that change. Right. And I never actually noticed that until I started doing the talk for... Right. It's like the, if you want to know something really well, you have to teach it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to like dive into all these things that I just took for granted that I knew how to do. I feel like blame is a critical tool to learn very early on if you're going to spend a lot of time contributing to Rails. Yeah. Every time I bring up Git blame, people are like, I don't like that word. Git yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a poorly named uh, tool. That doesn't mean that it's not. Some, yeah. people, some people alias it as Git praise. Huh? But not, you're not better. always praising. I, mean, I would no. alias it as Git who? <laughs> yeah, get and why. what? Git what? <laughs> and, then you'll, and then you always, it, it's always John Layton, move most of Active Record into modules. Yeah. <laughs> I commit always is, the, is in between me and what actually introduced the line. Yeah, I found a really funny comment in Rails once that was like, this shit is really nasty. <laughs> and like that was kind of it. There was like it explained like why it was nasty, but it was really funny to find that. <laughs> oh yeah, I think comment. I know the code you're talking about. <laughs> There's something to do with counter caches and yeah, and and the the we have to okay. So we actually we let's talk about this because we we are really ambiguous and um and we and this is now into been around long enough we can consider it feature land where because you know you specify counter cache who on the belongs to but not on right. the has many but the has many doesn't necessarily know if there's a counter cache on the other side, but the has many is what has to initiate it. Right. And so we would inconsistently do it based on the existence of the column name. And I think we should just have that be consistently the way it works. So hold on. Let me make sure I understand this. So on your, let's say you have a user who has many posts, mm -hmm. right? So, and a post belongs to user. Counter cache true. Counter cache true. So the way that gets stored is on user posts count. Posts yes. underscore count is the field. So you're saying that just having that column there without the counter cache true in some instances will still have the counter cache behavior? Yeah. So in, in, in 4.0, for example, where uh, uh, we fixed it on, I believe, 4.1 and 4.2, uh, the way it would work is if you removed a post, mm -hmm. it would update the counter cache regardless of, uh, regardless of the setting just based on the column name being there, even if it, the counter cache wasn't set to true. But if you added a post, it wouldn't. Now, what we do is we, we basically do our best job to figure out, is there an inverse association that we know of that we can actually pull this information from? But sometimes the answer is, I don't know. And yeah. because the answer is sometimes I don't know, it seems like for us to actually have consistent behavior, uh, our two options are either you have to always specify counter cache on both sides, or you never have to specify, and if you have a column called posts count, we, that is a counter cache for an association called posts. Right. What are your That's... thoughts on this? We have to make a decision. Right now. I thought right that now. there was a open pull request that has something to do with unifying that. and fixing From me. That. <laughs> yeah, it was you. I thought there was He's was looking for a thumbs up. <laughs> no, I mean, here's, here's what... I think that the behavior should make sense, and if it doesn't make sense... They both make sense, and they, they both, they're both, they both don't make sense. Make, well, to I don't know. I have to look at it. Yeah, I'd have to try it out and see what I think is. I have a hard time saying code should behave away without actually 
That's fair. Watching it do the thing that it's not supposed to do. That's actually, that's why I like working on Active Record the most because you can make these scripts and the scripts tell you what you're doing. Hmm. Whereas a lot of times with like Action Pack, it's a lot harder to write a script to make sure that like Rack and oh, yeah, yeah. everything is like behaving correctly right. all the way through. There's a much smaller stack when you're dealing with Active Record. It prints out the queries for you. It prints out the times the queries took. Yeah. Like, Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's true, but it's definitely like you're, you're less likely to have PG be the thing that's wrong as opposed to uh, an interaction right. with Rack being that's wrong. Probably. Yeah, I think my problem with Action Dispatches is just like deeper in a way like it goes yeah. further very rarely have i actually worked on an active record problem that turned out to be arl whereas often i've worked on an action pack problem that turns out to be rack sure and if you forget about rails when you fix rack and then you break rails and then david runs the tests on the next morning <laughs> and then well, you have to fix rack <laughs> yeah i actually want to get rid of arl entirely I'm working with uh, Piotr Sonica. Well, planning to work on him on a better on a new replacement that's going to be more just classic S expression style ASTs mm-hmm. um, that we can actually do better transformations on. Because A in this weird place where like it can't be used outside of the context of Rails, but we try yeah. to have it decoupled from Rails, and it's actually really really bad at serving Rails needs, and is one of the bigger points of pain that I have. And we can just make it more performant by replacing it with a better immutable AST that we can basically map over is, is, yeah. what, I want, is what we want to be able to do, especially for things like uh, for ordering bind params, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be great if we can share that with ROM. Yeah. Because uh, there's no there's no reason for us to have uh, separate SQL generators. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You just mentioned ARL, and I was like, yeah, yeah there's yeah. this thing. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor. It's Code School. Code School teaches you web technologies right from your browser or even your iPad or iPhone with their free mobile app. So take the entire problem of setting up a Ruby environment, for instance. Let's say you want to get to know Ruby and Rails. The first thing you've got to do is get Ruby installed, get all your Ruby gems installed, all that other stuff on your local machine. So you start Googling around for that. Are you going to use RVM? Are you going to use RBM? Are you going to use Truby? How would you know what to pick? And who cares anyway, right? Not you if you're using Code School. You're going to get to do all this stuff. You're going to learn all these technologies right in your browser. So what do you get with each one of these lessons? You're going to get a slew of courses with all, the, all of them having these delightful themes, including video lessons, screencasts, interactive code challenges, and the like. Do you want to learn Ruby, iOS development, or JavaScript? Code School has you covered. Maybe you're a back-end developer and you really need to brush up on your front-end design skill. Code School can teach you front-end fundamentals, CSS, SAS, you name it. They've got courses for it. Maybe you're a zombie and you really want to learn Rails. Code School has two complete courses just for you. This month, as a special gift, leave us a review on iTunes and be eligible to win a free month of service. We've got a handful of those we'll be sending out over the course of this month. So join more than 1 million happy users and check out CodeSchool.com today and get started learning things that you always meant to learn. Our thanks to CodeSchool for supporting the bike shed. What else are you excited about? <laughs> Anything else? How's Secret Rails 6 going? <laughs> uh, we're replacing it with Node. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or IO. Which one? Rust. Oh. <laughs> I like All Rust. I haven't tried Rust. It's fun. What else do you do? Do you do anything other than Ruby? Not currently. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm just spending like, all of my time either writing talks, at least recently, or working on Rails integration mm-hmm. tests. So uh, I eventually would like to try like Elixir or something, but I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, on my list. Yeah. It's but. hard when you're like... Like, my problem is, like, I'm being paid to write Rails and Ruby, so I can keep doing that. 
Yeah. And if I'm going to do something else, I need to find the time to do it. And like we have the 20% time or the investment time at ThoughtBot, but I have many other things competing for that time, like preparing this talk and doing the podcast and maintaining clearance and like trying to find the time to do one of these things. I feel like I almost need to like do just enough that I'm ready in case somebody wants to pay us to do those things. And that's when I really get to the point where. Yeah. That's why I had the glasses for so long. That's where you had the what? The glasses for so long. So that I'd understand how users would use it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, the Google Glass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what else? Anything else? How'd your talk go? It went well. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of attendees and they seemed, they seemed excited seemed to learn things. <laughs> any bugs? Uh, actually, one of them sent me a gist of a patch for a bug, and I really wanted to like, send me a pull request. Yeah, yeah. send a pull seems, request. Seems harder to send the gist of the patch. Yeah, because <laughs> then I ha- it's just not color coded, and um, my brain is yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, I think it was a little bit. I don't remember if GitHub by default color codes the gists, but it might not have been in the. I think you have to end it with dot diff. Right, you have to type in the extension. I think it didn't have a dot diff extension, but. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. You're training up the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that, that we talked about in the lab a lot was about documentation. And a lot of times when I've talked to people about contributing to Rails, they're like, well, documentation's not good enough. I want to fix a bug or I want to write code. And so I try to tell them in the lab, and I say this all the time, that documentation is so much more important because you're actually saving. Because a bug can exist, but as long as it's documented... Then no, you're then it's not a bug no no no, but you're you're saving people time, right? You're not like and documenting can mean making an issue. Okay, fair. Right. So if as long as something is documented, as in there's like a written record of it, at least it's not unexpected anymore. But when it's not documented at all, it's a unknown unknown bug, and everyone who hits that bug is going to spend the same amount of time or longer or maybe a little bit less, but time on it, hitting their head against the wall, having a bad day. When if you find behavior that's not documented and isn't a bug or find a bug, it should at least be documented via an issue or something. Yeah. Right. And I remember my first RailsConf was in Baltimore in like 2010, whenever the first year they did it in Baltimore was. And I remember I went to like, I didn't know anybody there. So I just basically went to all the sessions, every session and soaked up as much as I could. And they did like the Ruby Hero Awards and um, Jose Valim won Ruby Hero. And they were talking about like, However many, when he first started, all he did was documentation updates yeah. until he like knew what he was talking about. And then he started doing code updates. And then like, and then he's winning a Ruby Hero Award and like everybody knows who Jose Valim is. Like if you do Ruby programming, right? So like it's a great way to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's the other thing that it makes it a lot easier to learn about the contribution process. And it's a lot like, I guess you could say that it's safer than writing code in a way. Sure. It's a much safer change in that you're either right or you're wrong, grammatically incorrect, but it's not going to break other people's apps. Right. So it's safer in that way. But I think it, it's really great. Like we have so many people on Rails who mostly just do documentation. They get their documentation commit bit. They can just push directly to documentation and they're just making it better for everybody. Yeah. Right. Well, and then I always find it off-putting when people are like, oh, I don't want to do docs. It's like, because they're like, I want to write code. And so I'm like, okay, but are you going to write docs for the code you write? Like, (laughs) somebody has to write documentation at some point, and we all need to pitch in. Yeah, and and a while ago I had done this survey, because I have this other talk that I'm working on, and I don't know what it's going to turn into yet, but I did a survey asking maintainers and contributors and non-contributors, you know, maintainers, why do you do this? How long have you been doing this? What do you hate about it? And that's kind of the same question for committers and contributors. But then non-contributors, I ask them, why don't you contribute? 
And one of them said that they don't contribute even to, to documentation because they're not a documentation writer. Like they don't have that background. And I don't know what language it was. So it might have been a different language where you can't just sling documentation. That's fair. <laughs> but for RELs, none of us are documentation writers. We don't have training in that. Uh, the best you have to do is just make sure that you stick to like English grammatical standards. Yeah. And even if you don't, that's fine. Someone's going to read it and or someone else will get a commit by fixing that grammatical error. You know, well, I'm more of like, is the content right? As long as the content's right. I mean, I prefer it to be grammatically correct as well, but I'm not going to chastise anyone for not getting I mean, it right. You like, don't even have to necessarily speak English for parts of docs, though, right? You can, examples, you can, yeah. you can document it with Ruby. Yeah. yeah. I think I was talking to Melanie about like getting more Rails commits, and we were both talking about, like, oh, like, documentation is a great way. And it's not only a great way because like, it's going to help so many people, but also like, once you submit a documentation PR... Like, it's easy for somebody to approve and be like, yeah, this is better documentation. There's no risk, right? Yep. And then it's also like, <laughs> we talked about how, like, there's almost a race to merge those in because it's also a, a commit for the person who merges it in, yeah. right? <laughs> so, like, you get, to play part of, you get to play part of their game. Like, they're trying to go from, like, 20 to 18 or something like yeah. that. And you're just trying to get on the board. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it helps out. <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of it, uh, I think also the reason there's a little bit of a race for those two is because... So because of the different teams there are in Rails, which is not that obvious to outside. Being on the Rails issues team means that you can commit documentation mm-hmm. and you get to merge those in. You don't get to merge in code changes if you're on the issues team. So that's why I think there's a little bit more of a like a race because you're like, yeah, this is the only thing that I can merge in. <laughs> so I'm going to get these commits. Right. So everybody gets credit. Well, yeah. I mean, and then, the, and then you can close code pull requests. Yes. But I remember, and I still feel this way, but it was more when I, it was even worse when I was on the issues team. It was just like, so there, there'll be a pull request. I'm like, I will be opposed to whatever they're, they're submitting. And I do not think that there is enough there to work with to like, I don't have a specific thing where I can be like, my issues with this are X and Y. If you fix that, it will be mergeable. I don't think it's mergeable. I'm not sure it's a thing that they will be able to work into getting mergeable. Yeah. But I don't have I don't have enough like to give specific feedback. I don't feel so strongly against it. And so then I'm like, I'll just let somebody else have an opinion about it. And then nobody does. And then our pull request count goes up. Is it languages, right? No. I try not to let the numbers bother me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a huge project. Yeah. You can't what are you like so do? many so many small libraries. I'll judge by like I'll look and I'll be like how many open issues are and how many pull requests. Like then I can kind of get an idea. But like I don't do that for Rails. Yeah, like, it's cool if that number's low. I guess, but like there's so many it's people using not it. Not like, that high. It's six hundred. Thinking about how often a new pull request is opened. Right, we get twenty a day usually. Yeah. Wow. But it's like so. Back when I was still full time, though, I did make it a point of my job to not let that number go up. Now I didn't always succeed at that, but I tried to make sure that, the, at, especially around Christmas, because we released four two zero right around Christmas, mm-hmm. and. I'm Jewish, but everybody else was on vacation. So I'm like, I don't want everyone to come back from their vacation and have like 800 things that they have to deal with. So I, uh, especially around that time, I was really, really hard on I, This number will not go up. Uh. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't think that there's any... I think that it's great if it doesn't go up. But if, if it does go up, that just means that there's more people contributing. It's a kind of a good thing. I, I don't think there's value in closing pull requests because they're not... Like no. ready or whatever, no, you know, just just to keep that number. Down. If it's because they're not ready, of course. Like com- we comment on, I'm more talking like because they submitted a feature that we don't want. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, 
or like you were talking about like a feature you don't want but you didn't feel like capable of making the decision for everybody sometimes it's a feature or sometimes it's just a solution that's like I don't have anything to say other than this is the completely wrong approach like we shouldn't solve this at the association level this is a relation problem or like what what you know something where it's like there's not a single line of code that that and those are really rare actually but like it's more often like features that it's just like I don't think we should have this but I don't feel so strongly against it but then nobody right. ever, nobody else ever repeats it, and that right. just sits there. Are you, and then the bot happens. closes. Well, and then the bot doesn't even touch pull requests, so it literally just sits there forever. The bot only touches issues, and it skips issues oh. with the attached PR tag. Hmm. Yeah, well, maybe we should make the bot. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe the bot should let us know when they've gotten a little stale. Yeah, I don't. We know. should go from the other end instead of looking at the new ones. Look the at oldest. the old ones. Yeah, get that done with. Yeah, it's rough, though, because then I'll find ones that were, like, submitted, you know, before my time or whatever, or even just, like, six months old that just somehow slipped through. And it's just, like, and then when we do find the ones where it's, like, well, this, you're going in the right direction, but this needs work. And then if it's been sitting there for six months, they're so much less likely to actually reply or respond. And rebasing is going to be a pain in the ass. And then rebasing will be a pain in the ass. And a lot of times I'll find, I I have just started closing these when I find them, where it's, like, something that touches the typecasting code before the bit before. Right. Uh, the attributes API. It's just like I'll just close. I'll be like, this is going to. Th- th- it's not valid. Yeah, anymore. just this will take so much work. If you are interested in redoing this and you need help, please ping me. But like this, this will take so much work. I'm gonna just close this because you just submit a new pull request. Yeah. Right. What's the oldest open pull request? Uh, I don't know. Tom, can you check? <laughs> we have to wrap up because it's gonna get super loud in yeah. here because okay. sessions just let out. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, uh, anything else you want to plug before we wrap up? Oh yeah, anything to plug? talks or anything uh, i know that i'm speaking at grow crew and i know that i'm speaking at windy city in september so cool it'll okay. be fun grow crew's a good conference i think they still have tickets there's a boat ride afterwards cool cool if you like boats in the boat and past the statue of liberty with <laughs> lots of beer boats, Check it boats, out. boats. <laughs> yeah all right show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 22 special thanks to our guest eileen you should tell as always ratings and reviews on itunes are much appreciated thanks everyone I don't he, remember what my No, line he has is. another line. We oh. always forget these lines. <laughs> okay. If you would like to contact right. us. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, tweet us at underscore bikeshed, or comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Yay! Bye. <laughs>